0: As we launch into the week of prayer, I wanted to take uh, our time together and I wanted to talk about prayer and I wanted to come to the uh, James's perspective on the passage that we read today. So we read the passage about Elijah on Mount Carmel and all that happened there. Uh, Elijah had uh, declared to Ahab the king that there would be no rain on the land unless he said there would be rain. And and it was going to be a three and a half year drought. And it was. So now James, in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, James picks up on that story that we read and he applies it for us. And so let me read to you what he said in uh, James 5, 16b through 18. It says this, For the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so that's what we want to do today. We want to look at the, the text here. We want to talk about uh, prayer. And we want to also talk a little bit about fasting. As we enter into this week, I want to encourage us uh, in regard to prayer because prayer is seriously the most amazing opportunity that we have as the people of God. We, we actually have direct access to the the throne of heaven. We have direct access to the ruler of the universe and we, we are bid by him to come and to seek him in person. We have this amazing privilege of prayer and we want to talk a little bit about it today and just, you know, remind ourselves of What a wonderful thing it is that we have, this this opportunity to pray. So in a moment, we're going to look at um, the the terms that are used here. Fervent prayer, earnest prayer, and uh, effective uh, prayer. And so before we do that, though, I want to read to us a few quotes uh, regarding prayer. And the first quote, I'm going to go back to the... Uh, the late fourth or early fifth century, and then to the uh, mid eighteen uh, hundreds, and then a more recent quote. So, I want to start with a quote from Chrysostom, and I, whenever I teach on prayer, normally I share this quote because it's such a fascinating and amazing uh, perspective on prayer. So, let me read it to you. It says this: "The potency of prayer." Now, let me just frame this for a second. I want you to think about this is, this is coming at a time in history when the church had little, little to no you know, power in, in a sense. The church had for many, many uh, years been a, a persecuted minority. And this is the, the understanding of prayer coming from this man who lived Uh, during that time. He said, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, alleviated disease, repelled fraud, rescued cities from destruction. Prayer is an all-efficient armory a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unclouded, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. So let that sink down. I mean, what he is basically saying is all of these things were uh, addressed and, and dealt with and overcome through prayer. That's how it happened. And and so as we think of things that uh, are in a sense beyond our control, or or things that seem so overwhelming, things that we we feel uh, helpless in the face of, know this: we're not helpless. We have the potency of prayer. Uh, Quoting now from E. M. Bounds. E. M. Bounds wrote much on prayer. He lived uh, in the eighteen hundreds. He. Was actually a chaplain for the Confederate Army in uh, the Civil War. And uh, he said this He said, God is vitally concerned that we should pray. People are bettered by prayer, and the world is bettered by praying. God does his best work for the world through prayer. God's greatest glory and mankind's highest good are secured by prayer prayer forms the godliest men and women and makes the godliest world prayer is the easiest and hardest of all things the simplest and the most splendid the weakest and the most powerful its results lie outside the range of human possibility they are limited only by the omnipotence of god notice what he said he said, prayer is the easiest and hardest of all things. Boy, that is so true. You know, on the one hand, prayer is so easy, right? I mean, we can just pray anytime, any place, under any circumstance. All we do is we just lift our voices. We just start talking to God. It's so easy. But anybody who's ever really tried to pray knows that it's also very hard. And especially when we are focusing in on prayer, especially when we are being very intentional about something, why is it so hard? It's hard because there is an enemy who doesn't want us to pray, and he tries to hinder us from praying with distractions and with pressures and with uh, you know just all different kinds of things. So on the one hand, it's the easiest thing, but yet on the other hand, it is indeed the hardest of all things. Uh, one, one more quote, more current from Timothy Keller. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a great book on prayer that came out a couple of years ago, and he said this, he said, prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need and do and uh, we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. We have to. Now, the thing that's interesting about this quote to me, um, I read this book a few years ago. Uh, Tim, who's recently retired from pastoral ministries, I think he's about five years older than I am, um, in the introduction to the book, he talks about how the the importance of prayer was not something that he really understood until somewhat later in life and ministry. And he talked about how he had gone through many years of ministry where he faithfully pastored and preached and taught, and of course he prayed. But But there came a point in his life where something happened that brought him into a whole new a dimension of understanding the importance of prayer. And the reason why I appreciated what he wrote there is because I have had the same experience. Um, of course, you know, I've been pastoring for many years, and of course, as a pastor and as a Christian, you pray. But there was also a point in my life uh, where I learned to pray like I'd never prayed before and i'd learned the necessity of prayer and and the potency of prayer and so it, you know it's never too late we can always get a fresh understanding and perspective and and maybe for some today this will be that moment where you just suddenly realize you know i haven't really learned to pray i haven't really prayed like i i could or should and this will be that that moment of transition for you into uh A more significant and powerful life of prayer. Now, here in the passage that we read, it speaks of uh, effective, fervent prayer, and it speaks also of earnest prayer, and it speaks of um, availing prayer or or powerful prayer. So let's just look at each one of those for a second. Um, Effective fervent prayer. That's the wording here in uh, verse 16. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective fervent is one word in the Greek language. It's enargeo. And we get our English words, energy, energize, energetic. Those words come from this greek word so this greek word is translated into english as effective fervent so it's it's one greek word but it's translated with two english words here so i think when we understand the the word itself the root word it kind of helps us to understand what james is referring to he's talking about prayer that uh we put energy into it's not it's 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 not really just simply like passive prayer. It's not prayer like, "Oh, well, Lord, just help in some way." And it's much more focused, and there's there's much more energy being put into it. That's the kind of prayer that he tells us that Elijah prayed. Elijah, and let me point out to you what he said about Elijah. He said Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now that's a key. <laughs> that's a key uh, statement here for us in our understanding, because I think we often fall prey to the idea that somehow we're not spiritual enough, or we, you know we don't measure up, or when we're reading about the the you know people in the Bible. And the encounters they had with God and the impact their lives had, we we somehow think, well, they were different. They were no different. That's the point that James is making. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, meaning that Elijah had strengths and weaknesses just like we all have. And in the story that we read a little bit of, maybe you remember, it was in the time of uh, the rule of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, the most wicked couple to ever rule in the land of Israel. And there we see Elijah. He's he's in a contest uh, with these false prophets, these hundreds of false prophets. And he has this great victory on Mount Carmel. And he shows the whole nation that that the God of Israel is the true God versus Baal. And, you know, it's just a great, great moment of victory for Elijah. The very next thing he does is he becomes filled with fear because Jezebel says, "I'm going to do to you what you did to those prophets." And so he runs for his life from this wicked queen. And and we see <laughs> greatness on the one side and weakness on the other. And that's why James says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So in other words, You don't have to be some perfect person spiritually in order to have an effective prayer life. You know, because when it comes time to pray, you know what happens quite often? There's a little voice that comes along and says, you know, what are you gonna do praying? I mean, you don't really pray that often. What, do you think you're gonna just go to God right now and pray? You think God really wants to hear from you now? Where have you been? Or well, what do you mean you're going to pray? You're not even that spiritual. Or what about this past, you know, this past week, didn't you say this to that person? Or didn't you think this about that person? Or, you know, the enemy will come up with all kinds of reasons why you are unqualified to really pray and expect anything from God. Because after all, you're just... uh, you're just a weak human being. James wants you to know that that does not disqualify you because that's exactly what Elijah was. He was a man with a nature just like ours. But what did he do? He prayed, it says, earnestly. So Elijah prayed earnestly. The the word earnestly, it refers to a a seriousness and an intentionality. So he prayed very intentionally. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't just, you know, if I get around to it, I'll pray. Or if, you know, if, if there's a, a moment of uh, great need, then, then I'll, I'll pray then. You know, sometimes that's, that's kind of the extent of our prayer lives, right? We just go from one crisis to another when it comes to prayer. And we enter a crisis, and we cry out to God, and we pray, and then the crisis passes, and then we stop praying. And then another crisis comes along. Oh, God, help. I promise, Lord, if you get me out of this, I, I will pray after this. I'll keep praying. And the Lord gets us out, and then we don't do it. Sometimes that's that's just the way we do things as people. But What's being described here is something that's not like that. Elijah is very intentional about his prayers. He's very serious when it comes to prayer. And this is something that we all need to take away. We need to have intentionality about prayer. We need to have seriousness about prayer. We all need to have times and preferably... uh, consistent times where we focus in intentionally on specific things that we are asking God to do that's the kind of prayer that Elijah prayed and it's a prayer that we read here it avails much so these are the powerful prayers the powers the, the prayers that accomplish things are the prayers that are earnest and fervent. Now, thank God in his amazing mercy. You know, he will, he will answer our prayers even when we're not praying like this. I mean, I've had many prayers that have been answered that have been less than uh, fervent and earnest. They've been more just like a, a cry out for help. And God's so good that he does that. But if we want to see real, real progress, if we want to see things really happen through prayer, then this is the way we must approach prayer. And, you know, there there are things, and I think there are plenty of things around us right now in, in our own, you know, experience as as people living in, 2019 in the United States of America or wherever else you might be living. You know, there are, there are plenty of things around us that we look at and think, man, that is such a problem. That's got to change. How is that going to change? Well, prayer is the way it's going to change. You know, just like it was in the days of Elijah, you, you can come to a place in life, you can come to a place in your uh, culture you know, you know you're you're wherever you are in the world you can come to a place where there there are problems that are huge that you as an average person have no power over whatsoever and that's how it was in the days of elijah ahab and jezebel ruled the nation and they were as evil as you could be They had brought, remember, this is Israel. These are God's holy people. These are the people that God said, you shall make no idols. You shall not bow down to them. Man, they brought idolatry in and made it the fashion of the day. And Jezebel, she uh, established all of these idolatrous uh, priests and prophets. So, I mean, it was just, it was completely wicked at the time. And there was nothing that the average Israelite could do about it. They had no power. They had no recourse. The powers that be were doing their thing, and they didn't care what anybody else thought. How do you change a situation like that? You know, this past week, some of you probably heard about this. I was gone, but I saw it on um, social media. The New York State Legislature passed some new laws regarding abortion where you can basically... um, It's the most radical abortion laws in the world, uh, really... Uh, where you can uh, terminate a pregnancy or kill a baby right up to the very moment of birth. That's what they did in New York, and they celebrated after they did it. They took the, you know, and they they lit up the um, the Freedom Tower there. Um, they they lit it up in in pink to celebrate this thing that reproductive rights is what they're celebrating. But the other other side of that is the death of children. Now, I know that there was a huge outcry from many people and much of it was to do with the fact that what do we do about this? How do we even uh, deal with these kinds of things? How can we, what can we do? And and a lot of people understandably feel helpless because uh, obviously, Uh, Even though the majority of people in the country are not favorable toward abortion, the majority doesn't matter. There are people in power and they've got an agenda and they're going to get their agenda done. And from their perspective, they don't care what you think and there's nothing you can do about it. But there is something you can do about it. You can pray. You can pray. Now, you know, some people would say, well, You know, praying, that's a cop out. We need to take action. Well, people took action. It didn't do any good. It didn't result in anything because certain people are going to do what they want to do regardless of what anybody else thinks about it. So that's what I'm talking about. When you get to a place like that, what do you do? Well, this is what you do the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. See, Elijah was one guy and he had to stand up against the king. Remember, the king has an army. And, and the king has all the power. And Elijah has to stand up. What does he do? He prays. And he prays. He says, by my word only will it rain. And it will not rain for the next three and a half years. And that's exactly what happened. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And then we read the story of when the rain came back, but it came back at Elijah's word. But the, the prayer stopped the rain, brought the drought got the attention of the rulers. So when we think of these things that we seem helpless in the face of, what can we do about this? How can we ever see any change in this area? Don't forget the potency of prayer. You know, we we live in a time where even as Christians, we have, I I think we've forgotten a lot of things about um, spiritual power. I think we have uh, a lot of times been so dependent on uh, political processes and things like that. And we think that, well, this is how you get things done. And we forget that there's a spiritual battle and we need spiritual power and God has given us spiritual power. And there is a potency to prayer that subdues fire and bridles the rage of lions and hushes anarchy and extinguishes wars and expels the demons. And that's what we need today. And it's available to us. That's what we are told here. Now, prayer is our main point today and, and is our main point for the week that we're entering into, but we have added to prayer fasting. And why, why are we doing that? Well, the Bible couples these two things together quite often. It talks much more about prayer than it does about fasting, but there are times when the two are coupled together. Uh, in the Old Testament, you have about 24 references to fasting and prayer, and in the New Testament, you have about 10 references And we've coupled these two things together because we found by our own experience that when we included fasting in our week of prayer, that it it changed the dynamic in our week of prayer. What does fasting do? Well, one of the things it does is it liberates us from distraction. Because one of the things that happens when you go to pray is you get distracted. Now, I don't know about you, but a big distraction in my life is food. Anybody else have that distraction? You know, isn't it true? Like, you know, sometimes I think, how does so much of life revolve around food? You know, how is it that you wake up in the morning thinking about what you're going to eat? You go to bed at night thinking about what you're going to eat when you wake up. And all the hours in between, you're looking for other things to eat. You know, sometimes I just go, and I just open the refrigerator, and I just stand there. And Cheryl, my wife, who is very energy conscious, she hates when the refrigerator door is open. So she's always like, what are you doing? Why are you standing there looking in the refrigerator? I don't know. Are you hungry, she says to me. No, not really. (laughs) But I just wondered if there was anything to eat in here. (laughs) Isn't it true that that's, that's kind of how our lives are? I'm so glad to come back from this trip so I could stop eating and enter into this week of fasting. But it's true. It's just these are, these are uh, things that can distract us. Now, obviously, we need to eat, right? But we don't need to eat all the time, and we don't need to eat as much as we eat, probably and there are legitimate times to just say we're not going to do that but you know fasting is not even only abstaining from food that's certainly a, a you know huge part of it but it can be abstaining from other things as well because as i said it's uh, you you combine fasting with prayer so you can focus so you're not distracted we have plenty of other things that distract us don't we so your fast might it might include abstinence from food, but you might say, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to turn the TV off for the week. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's going to be my fast. Uh, you might be addicted to social media and you might say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to abstain from that this week. Cause it, cause it's a distraction. So so that's what fasting is. Now, fasting in the Old Testament, it was connected to repentance, um, cries for mercy during national calamity, and a quest for fresh revelation from God. So whenever you find these different uh, examples of fasting, or even God at times would command the people to fast for these reasons, this is what would be behind it Uh, in the new testament fasting (laughs) is seen mainly uh, with times of seeking wisdom direction and power from god for the advancing of the kingdom of christ so it's a it's like a two pronged attack when we pray and fast together when we put those two things together. Now, uh, whenever we talk about fasting, a lot of times, you know, there's questions that arise. Well, you know, how do you do that? Or what should I do? Or what shouldn't I do? And, and here's the interesting thing. Um, the Bible has a variety of different types and lengths of fast. So there's no one size fits all when it comes to fasting. And because there's variety in the scriptures, you know you could actually just take examples from the Bible and say, well, I'm gonna do a fast like this. Or you realize that there's a, a certain amount of uh, freedom for you to uh, put together something that will accommodate you, that will work for you. But let me give you a few examples. So uh, there's, in, in scripture, we have uh, total abstinence from both food and water. Now, I certainly don't recommend that one. Um, Moses did that for forty days; he was supernaturally sustained, obviously, because you can't live with without water for forty days. Uh, but Esther and Paul did uh, something. Saul, before he was Paul, um, did something like on a, I think, a three day or a, a basis. Uh, but then Jesus fasted; he abstained from food for forty days. And that's recorded for us in uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then um, we also have an example of a fast in Daniel chapter 1. And this was a partial fast. Daniel and his friends, uh, they were taken away to Babylon. They were being groomed by the Babylonian king. And they decided they were not going to eat from the king's delicacies. Instead, they were going to uh, be on a diet of water and vegetables um, for 10 days. And so that would be their fast, a 10-day fast with water and vegetables. So my point is simply this. There's, there's freedom for you to uh, put something together that is manageable for you. So it might be um, you're going to only have two meals a day instead of three, or you're going to have one meal a day, or you're going to take a whole day and not have any food. And, you know, so again, there's freedom there, but I would encourage you, whether it's food or entertainment or whatever, I would encourage you to take advantage of the week and to put something aside that would normally distract you and to focus your attention on prayer. And, you know, we, we want to pray for the church, and that's what we're going to do as we're here. We want to pray for the world. Uh, we want to pray for each other. But, you know, I would imagine that in all of our lives, there are things that are personal that need prayer, And this would be a great time for you to say, Lord, this week, I want to pray for this thing. I want to pray for this person. I want to pray for this child or this sibling or this friend or, or, you know, whatever the case might be. So focus. Remember, our, our primary objective is prayer fasting is a component, but our primary objective is prayer. And so focus this week on your spiritual life, on the life of the church, and pray that God will pour his spirit upon his church in these days. Oh, how we need a a fresh outpouring of the spirit of God. We desperately need um, another move of the Spirit. Um, in, in the history of our country, we have uh, the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, and we've had other, um, I think, awakenings since then. But an awakening is a time when the Spirit of God is moving in the culture in such a way that people are being convicted of sin, and they're, they're looking for the Savior. They're turning to Christ. And it's something that God is doing it's a supernatural thing. Oh, we need that. Uh, We need to see that in our day. Desperately need to see that, don't we? Um, Let me share just a few quotes with you from these kinds of experiences from the past. Uh, John Wesley wrote back in his day, the 1700s, he said the the fast day was glorious. Uh, He was in London at the time, uh, such as London, has scarce seen. Every church in the city was more than full. Surely God hears prayer, and there will be yet a lengthening of our tranquility. hundred or so years later, Charles Spurgeon uh, spoke of seasons of prayer and fasting there at his Metropolitan Tabernacle, and he said that, um, These have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer to the central glory. So they're talking about the immediate results of these times of prayer and fasting. That they would sense a fresh moving of the spirit of God. Henry Blackaby, more recently, he said this. He said, all revivals begin and continues. All revival begins and continues in the prayer meeting, some have also called prayer the fruit of the revival. In times of revival, thousands may be found on their knees for hours, lifting up their heartfelt cries with thanksgiving to heaven. And so, prayer often is the, um, it precedes the revival as people pray, as they seek the Lord, as they humble themselves. And then Andrew Murray said, the coming revival must begin with a great revival of prayer. It is in the closet with the door shut that the sound of abundance of rain will first be heard. The sound of abundance of rain. Remember, we read that. And and oftentimes it's in that time of prayer that that begins to happen. So we have the opportunity this week to set aside uh, this special time for prayer. The church needs reviving and the nation needs awakening. In an article uh, at CNN this, this past week, maybe you saw it. The article was titled "Christianity's Future Looks More Like Lady Gaga Than Mike Pence." Um, the author, uh, progressive Christian activist, his name is Guthrie Graves Fitzsimmons. He he wrote this. This is just a portion. You can read. You, you ought to read the article. It's quite interesting. But I'll give you just the end bit of it. Uh, he he wrote this. He said, Jesus sums up his ministry in the gospel according to Luke by citing the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord, he's quoting now from Luke, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that's a quote from Luke's gospel, right? So this guy quotes it. And then, listen to his modern adaptation of the statement a modern adaptation might be jesus announces his support for democratic socialism and dedicates his ministry to the little monsters lady gaga's term for the outcast and vulnerable among whom she ministers now that was news to me that lady gaga was a minister but apparently she is Uh, and now he refers to uh, Ocasio Cortez. This is the young 30 year old woman who's uh, was elected into the uh, Congress, New York uh, Congresswoman, uh, who came in as a socialist. And he says, uh, so remember, this is a modern adaptation of what Jesus is saying. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez is flipping tables in Congress like Jesus did in the temple and proclaiming a radical vision for economic and social fairness. They are good and faithful servants in the language of Jesus. Now, this guy is, I think, a little bit misguided uh, in his perspective on things but why am i even reading that i'm i'm reading that to just show you that you know this is the kind of stuff that is more and more being uh, announced in the culture and this is the kind of stuff that that shows us now again this person you know is identified as this is a, pro- a progressive christian and, and he's saying that the way in the future is, you know, we, you, you probably heard, I, again, I was out of the country, but I did hear uh, that the Pence's, uh, Mike Pence's wife, Mike Pence is the vice president, right? His wife uh, teaches at a Christian school, and she was then demonized because she teaches at an anti-LGBT establishment and, you know, all of this kind of stuff was swirling around in the culture, and so, you know, she's bad. And somebody did a hashtag, expose Christian schools. They want to tell everybody that Christian schools are really bastions of hate and all of that crazy kind of stuff. So, so that's, the, that's the culture we're in. That's where we're at today. What do we do about it? Well, you can go to the, you know, you can go to the polls when there's an election. That doesn't seem to help a whole lot. But, you know, we should do it. But if that's all we can do oh boy, we're sunk. But it's not all we can do. You know what we can do? We can pray. We can pray. And you know, when I heard that whole thing with the abortion situation in New York and how grievous that is, and I saw all the responses on Twitter and and all of that, I thought, you know... We're, we're, we're probably, nobody's probably going to ever overturn Roe versus Wade or, you know, any of that stuff. So, so what do we do? Well, if God pours out his spirit in a very extraordinary way, you know what happens? Um, the abortion business just, it just ceases because nobody wants to kill their baby because their heart's been changed and they realize God changes people from the inside out. And so you could you could shut down abortion clinics not by picketing, but by they just don't have any business because people want to keep their kids, or people, you know, aren't having children out of wedlock or whatever the case might be. God, when He pours out His Spirit, you know what happens? All of these social ills and problems just get cleared up naturally because the heart of a person changes. And the things that they previously were doing, they are no longer doing. And so we have the power. And so as Tim Keller said, we must learn to pray. We have to. We have to. Because nobody else is gonna do it. We have to do it. We have to learn to pray. More things are accomplished by prayer than this world could ever dream of. And we of all people should know that and we should be experiencing that. And so that's what I want to say as we head into this week. But I do want to add just this one thing. As much as I want to see this, you know, a work of God's spirit an outpouring people coming to Christ, of course, we want to see all of that. But let's not forget that that God wants to bless his people as well. You know, sometimes I think we can get so preoccupied with saving the world, we forget about the people that are already saved that God wants to bless. As I was preaching in Australia last week, a lady came up to me afterwards and she wanted to talk to me about her daughter who's battled with some mental illness. And she wanted to ask me to pray for her and I did. But you know, as I began to pray for her, the holy spirit just really spoke to me and just reminded me like of how important this is right here how important it is that god's people get ministered to that god's people are encouraged and it just, you know, it was like a flash for me, like sometimes it'll happen, just this instant thing where the Spirit just says, you know, don't forget, as much as you want to see the whole world you know, come to Jesus, that that's great, of course we want to do that. But let's not forget that the people that have come to Jesus, God wants to bless them. So all of that to say, as we enter into this prayer week, yes, we're praying for reviving, yes, we're praying for the nations and an awakening, yes, we're praying for all that, but you know what, we're gonna pray for, God's blessing right upon our own lives as well because he's a blessing God and he wants to bless us too and he wants to work among us and he wants to touch and and strengthen and heal and do all of those kinds of things so that's what we have in store for us for the week ahead and thank God for the privilege of prayer that we have access and we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help, to obtain mercy, and to find help in the time of need. That is our privilege as the people of God. So Lord, as we exercise that privilege this week, as we come together um, as your people to seek you in prayer, Lord, we pray that you would meet us. Lord, we know that you will hear our prayer because you promised that you would. And so we will come with the expectancy of you hearing and answering our prayer. And so guide us. And Lord, I pray just for each person, help us to manage this week well. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of the opportunity to pray together. Uh, Help us to know um, in regard to fasting, what you would have us to do and Lord may you do great and awesome things uh, among us this week and and ultimately through this time of prayer this week as we as we go into this new year, may this be the preparation for all that you have in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus name amen.